Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When it comes to living our lives, we have a tendency to compare ourselves with other people. And when we make these comparisons between ourselves and other people, we by default create a scale. And this scale looks something like this. It means that on one side of the scale, a person lives for the absolute indulgence of their flesh, which could be described as nothing more than a life of absolute selfishness. We could say that. And then on the other side of the scale, we have a person who lives their life by trying to restrain their flesh. And this individual is not a selfish person, but instead is a sacrificial person, a person who devotes their lives to meet the selfish desires of other people. That's one way of looking at it. And we look at ourselves quite often and we try to figure out where do we fit on this scale? What kind of a person are we? Are we a person who is extremely selfish or are we a person who is devoted to other people? Are we a person who lives according to the desires of our flesh to try to indulge our flesh? Or are we a person who lives our lives trying to restrain our flesh? And when we look at ourselves in this way, we can tend to focus ourselves or focus others on the subject of the law, because you have to have a law in order to define these things, in order to define what is right, what is wrong, what is perhaps selfish, and what is sacrificial. We have to have a law in order to accomplish that. And so when we look for a law or when we establish a law, when we do that, we can have lots of opportunities for debate and disagreement and things like that. But eventually, a standard has to be defined. Eventually, some system of law has to be established. And when people look at the law of Moses, when many people look at the law of Moses, they look at the law as the divine law, the law that our God gave. And In many people's minds, they really believe that because God gave this law, which I do believe that he did, when God gave this law, he gave a law that should settle all dispute, that should settle all concern. We now have a standard that God has given us. We now have a definition of how we should live and, of course, of how we should not live. And if we would only live in this way, then everything would work out just fine. Then we would be able to live in peace with one another and we would have the maximum opportunity for prosperity, that we would be able to work and we would be able to keep what we earned, or at least as much as is reasonably possible. And so when God made his contribution to humanity, to the pursuit of humanity, to try to define the right way of life, when he made his contribution... Many people looked at that, and many people still look at his contribution as if that is what we are to be devoted to. Now, I do believe that God gave the commandments through Moses. I really do. 
But I believe that he gave those commandments in order to show us that we could not live that way, that we were not made to live that way. I also believe that he gave the law for other purposes. I do believe that he gave the law in order to prophetically describe the coming of the Messiah, how he would accomplish salvation for us. I also believe that there are many foreshadowings in the law that we can look to that will give us a description about what our life in Christ Jesus is truly about. Now that the new covenant has gone into effect, we can now realize that. We can see the reality that was foreshadowed by the old covenant, foreshadowed by the law. I believe that the law was given for several reasons, but one of the most important reasons that we need to identify is the reason of dealing with sin. And what I mean by dealing with sin is not to try to get our flesh under control and not to provide a resolution for sin. If you look into the law, there certainly are resolutions. You can provide restitution. You can perform sacrifice. You can be executed. There are many ways to deal with sin in the law. The law does deal with sin. What I mean is that the law shows us that it is impossible for us to be obedient It is impossible for us to be obedient to the commandments to the extent where we will be perfect. And because of that, we are going to fall short and we are going to need the mercy of God. That's what it comes down to. The law was given not so that we would have a defined way of life. The law was not given so that we could compare ourselves with other people those who are not as obedient as we are, or perhaps those who are more obedient than we are, it was not given for those reasons. We may use it for those reasons, but if we do that, then we are using the law for a purpose that God never intended. The law was given so that we could eventually see, provided that we are sincere and devoted enough to the law, we will eventually see that we have no hope, absolutely no hope of ever being blessed by God, We have no hope of ever living outside of the curse of God, outside of his grace and mercy. That would be the only way that we could be free from the burden of the law, the curse of the law and the lack of blessings in our lives. Because the law is very clear. It says very clearly that we must obey all of the commandments or we will be cursed by God. That's what he said. Now, this was necessary. This was absolutely necessary. The law was given to define sin. It was given to show us that we would never overcome sin so that we would see that we have a need for the mercy of God. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says that Christ did this. He did deal with sin to provide us with the mercy of God. In verse 13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So he did this so that he could resolve this issue, because this was an issue. This is an issue between us and our God, and he resolved it a long time ago. The issue of our sin separating us from our God. He dealt with it by dying for the sin, providing us with forgiveness. The law demanded obedience or death. He obeyed on his own behalf. He died on our behalf. 
He took the curse upon himself so that it would not need to be placed on us. He set us free from the curse of the law so that he could invoke a new covenant that we could begin to enter into. So it's very important to identify what the law was for so that you can see that it was used for the purpose that it was intended to be used for. If you fail to do this, then it's very easy to use the law for a purpose that it was never intended for. For example, I have known many people throughout my life who have been devoted to the law, who have tried to live in obedience to the commandments of God with the expectation that they would be blessed by God in return. But the reality is that God is never going to bless them because they will not fulfill what the law demands so that they would be blessed. And so if they are ever going to be blessed by God, it has to be in another way. Now, why did God make this contribution? He made this contribution in order to resolve a problem that took place in the Garden of Eden when he created Adam and Eve. A problem that took place, this problem started right there. God created the garden and he put in the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when he put that tree in the garden, in addition to all of the other trees, he told Adam and Eve, listen, you can eat from any tree you want to eat from, but this one, this one is mine. Don't eat from this tree because if you eat from this tree, then in the day that you eat from this tree, you will surely die. Now, of course, we know that they ate from the wrong tree. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil through believing the lie that if they only know what is good and evil, then they could be like God. That was the lie that they believed that the devil told them. And because they believed the devil and they rejected the word of God, God allowed them to do that and they got to experience the consequence of death that he described. Now, the reason why they rejected God was because they wanted to live according to the knowledge of good and evil. That's why they fell. So in order to be complete, our God resolved this issue before he dealt with the death issue. He dealt with this issue first because this needs to be resolved. There needs to be a resolution. Do we live according to the knowledge of good and evil, or do we not live according to the knowledge of good and evil? Now, through the giving of the law through Moses, God provided us with a definition of what is good and evil. And through the giving of that, and through the centuries of the nation of Israel attempting to live by this law, it should be clear that whether we want to or not, we will never live according to the knowledge of good and evil. We're never going to be able to do that. Now, of course, one of the tribes that remained of Israel, the Jews, they eventually came to the belief that they had succeeded in doing this. They did. They sincerely believed that they had found a way of life that they could live in order to ensure that they would never violate any of the commandments and they would also live in obedience to all of the commandments. 
that they would never sin. They would live a life of holiness and righteousness. They would always do that which was good, and they would never do that which was evil. They did come to a point where they believed that they had finally succeeded. And when that happened, the Lord Jesus showed up, and he conducted his ministry to explain to them that they were not as impressive as they thought they were, at least not from his point of view, that they still failed. So the Lord Jesus came personally in order to address this issue. This was the living God manifested in the flesh who came personally to deal with this issue and to explain to the people that they still had a need for the mercy of God. So through this, God answered the question and he resolved the problem. He answered the question of, do we live according to the knowledge of good and evil? Of course, we can't, and so we never will. So whether we want to or not, or whether we should or we shouldn't, doesn't matter, because he did not create us in a way that we could possibly function that way. When we deceive ourselves into believing that we have found some way to accomplish that, we might be able to look at each other and convince each other that we have found a way to do this, but we are not going to impress God. We must eventually come to the point of recognizing that there is no hope outside of his grace and mercy. Only then can we embrace his forgiveness. That's what he provided. He provided forgiveness through his death on the cross. And of course, that is a fulfillment of what was foreshadowed through the sacrificial system that was defined in the Mosaic law. But this is not the only issue that needs to be resolved. This is not the only problem. There was another problem. You see, the penalty that Adam and Eve experienced was spiritual death. They died spiritually. The life of God that was breathed into humanity was withdrawn. And this problem needs to be resolved. So the Lord Jesus came to die for the sins of humanity in order to resolve the question of do we live according to the knowledge of good and evil, but if if he is going to resolve the spiritual death of humanity, he's going to have to do that in a different way, because through his death, he was able to provide forgiveness, but he wasn't able to provide the restoration of the Holy Spirit. This is what he did through his resurrection. He rose from the dead so that he could take the spirit that raised him from the dead, he could send the Holy Spirit back to us, so that the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit, would raise us from the dead, and that would be our salvation. This is what God promised Abraham. God did not promise Abraham the law. He did not go to Abraham and say, Listen, Abraham, have you noticed that people have a hard time figuring out how they're supposed to be living? Don't worry. Eventually... Through your descendants, I am going to give the law. And when you have the law, then you'll know exactly how you're supposed to live. And you just follow the law. That's not what he told him. He told him that he would provide the Messiah through him. And this Messiah would come to resolve these two distinct problems that, of course, are together when we talk about salvation. But they are still two separate distinct issues. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, it says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He does not say the promise of the law. He says the promise of the Spirit. So, again, why did he give the law? 
Well, you continue down to verse 17 where it says, And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. So what was it for? If it didn't come to annul the previous covenant, it didn't come to replace the previous covenant, what was it there for? What connection did it have to the previous covenant if there was a connection at all? Well, there was a connection, but before I describe the connection again, I want you to see that he says that he gave the law 430 years later, and it does not annul the covenant he already made. It does not annul the covenant that he already made because it is somewhat unrelated. It is unrelated in the sense that when he gave the law, he gave it to show us that we had a need for his mercy. But because people didn't understand that they had a need for his mercy, they needed to wrestle with the law for a little while. And that's what makes it distinct, is that it dealt with this issue by giving a person an opportunity to really see, an individual can really see for themselves, they can see themselves for who they are and see him for who he is so that they will hopefully finally recognize that they have a need for his mercy. And then this becomes the connection with the new covenant, which is the covenant that he established with Abraham before he gave the law to Moses. And that is that he will provide his mercy and he will provide the restoration of the Holy Spirit to restore humanity to a relationship with him, a living relationship with him outside of the law, outside of the knowledge of good and evil. So in verse 17, he says very clearly that the law, which was given 430 years later, does have its place, but its place is not to replace the previous promise, the previous covenant that he made. Now, what people try to do is they try to merge the two, and this is where a lot of people get into trouble. They try to merge the two and say things like, well, you can't keep the law, but now that you have been resurrected, now you can keep the law. He's going to empower you to now live according to the law. Now, I do believe that through the transformation that he will do within an individual, we will see a reduction of sin. I do believe that, but I do not believe, I don't see any evidence that he says that he will now empower you to live according to the law. If you don't believe that, then that's only because you have deceived yourself into believing that you can now live in obedience to the law. And if you haven't totally deceived yourself into believing that, then just keep trying. Keep trying and you will eventually see that now that you have been resurrected, you still can't do it. He resurrected you so that he can do a transformation within you. This transformation has to do with meeting the needs of your heart. It has to do with establishing a relationship with you. It has nothing to do with trying to get your flesh under control. It has to do with killing your flesh so that you can live according to the Spirit. And, of course, I have done many radio programs on this subject. I'm not going to get into that right now. I would just like to emphasize the fact that this was a promise that God made to Abraham. And when the Old Covenant, when the law was given after this promise... That doesn't mean we have to try to find a way to live in both. We must identify the purposes that they were given for, and when we do, 
then we can understand why he gave them and we can live in the truth and in the reality of their purpose. We can recognize their purpose. And when we do, then we will see that living in the new covenant, living our lives in the new covenant is totally different from living our lives in the old. For example, continue into verse 18. This is Galatians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now, to a Jew, this is going to be a little awkward because the law describes an inheritance that was given to the children of Abraham. It describes an inheritance. But this is not the same inheritance that he is talking about here in verse 18. And that's what makes this a little bit of a challenge. You see, in the Mosaic Law, the land of Israel, peace in Israel, the kingdom in Israel, a life in Israel, the land of Israel was given to the children of Abraham as an inheritance. So when they heard the word inheritance, their understanding of that word would have been the giving of the land the giving of the political and religious infrastructure of the government that was defined by the Mosaic Law, specifically the Levitical priesthood. That is what they would understand. And so when Paul says, if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, to those who did not understand the inheritance in Christ, those who were still trying to live by the law, they would be able to see right then, right there. They would easily be able to identify that Paul was talking about a different kind of inheritance than was defined by the law because they could just look around themselves. They could look around and they could see that the political system was not being restored, the religious system was not being restored, their land rights was not being restored, the nation of Israel, according to the law, was not being restored. This would show them that they had not received the inheritance that was defined by the law and that they probably never would. And in fact, as we can look back 2,000 years later, we can see that it has never been restored, and it probably never will be. So by default, they should recognize that the inheritance that Paul speaks about is a different kind of inheritance. Again, in verse 18, For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So what was the inheritance that he was talking about? First and foremost is definitely the Holy Spirit. That is the inheritance. That is the gift that our God has given to us as a result of his death and of his resurrection. It is the Holy Spirit of God that is the inheritance. It is not the inheritance that is defined by the law. Another very important distinction. You have the inheritance that is defined by the law that they will never receive, and perhaps if they do, they're definitely not going to keep it. And then you have the inheritance of the promise that was made to Abraham, the inheritance that we receive, those of us who believe in the Messiah, who trust in the Messiah. We receive the Holy Spirit of God to resurrect us from the dead 
And this resurrection deals with the spiritual death of humanity that resulted from the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden because they believe the lie that the devil shared with them that all you need to know is the right law. All you need to know is what is good, what is evil, live that way and everything will work out just fine for you. The inheritance that we have received is summarized as the Holy Spirit, but there certainly is so much more beyond that. I did a series of programs titled The Will of God. Listen to those programs. The will of God is the description of the inheritance that you have received as a result of his death. Also, the programs that I did on our identity in Christ, I deal with this subject a little bit in there also. Listen to those programs for more information on this subject of the inheritance. But it is not possible for a person to understand this until they are willing to see the law for what it is, they are willing to embrace the law for what it was given for, they are willing to see the fulfillment of it through the death of the Messiah, and then they can realize the fulfillment of the promise that was made to Abraham through the resurrection of the Messiah so that they can begin to walk in the newness of life not based on what they hope they may receive from their God but instead on the basis of what they have already received from the living God. But you have to understand that only the Jew, only the Israelite could have received an inheritance according to the law. If you were a Gentile, under no circumstance would you ever be able to receive an inheritance according to the law. The law did allow for a Gentile to become a part of the nation of Israel, to be identified with the nation of Israel, to even marry with others who were in the other tribes of Israel. But you, specifically, would never have any inheritance rights according to the law in the land, but in the Messiah, everyone can have inheritance rights. Not in the land of Israel, but you can have the inheritance of the living God himself personally, expressed to you as the Holy Spirit that is restored to you. That is an inheritance that is available only for those who will believe in the true Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.